All right. Well, good morning, Kirby Woods Baptist Church. Thanks for being here. To our guests and visitors and maybe those that have kind of stumbled into this broadcast, thank you for attending. We're honored by your presence this morning. If you have questions uh, regarding the gospel or salvation or just anything that could help you take a next step in your faith journey, if you would visit us at kirbywoods.org forward slash live. We would love to minister to you and maybe answer whatever questions are kind of rolling around in your head. But again, thank you so much. If you have a Bible, uh, go to Revelation chapter 21. You can flip there, click there. doesn't matter how you access God's word. Just uh, find your way to the last book of the Bible. We're going to read a word of hope uh, given to uh, John by God. You know, it was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for a church that was experiencing great tribulation. I'm going to explain in just a minute. But uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, what is the world going to look like on the other side of COVID-19? It's one of those thoughts that's just kind of been spinning in my head. I've wondered, what is the world going to look like when we finally get to kind of leave our homes and leave our apartments, kind of return to life as we knew it? Is it going to be life as we knew it before? Uh, I personally believe that we're going to experience a whole new world. And that's not just like pastor dramatization. I, I really think things are going to be significantly different. I think it's going to be a new world. And mostly it's going to be a new world because it's a new normal. I mean, I think that telehealth and telecommuting options are probably now mainstream. I believe how the church leverages technology and social media is probably forever changed and it's forever, probably never going away. I believe that consumer spending habits are probably forever going to be altered because of uh, the need to, again, use Amazon and uh, you know, direct to, to you know, consumer delivery uh, routes. I believe that, again, it's probably a whole new world because there's a whole new normal. But you know what's interesting is that in Revelation chapter 21, God gives a word to John about a whole new world. But he's not talking about a whole new world like our world, which is a, you know, an old world with a new normal. He's talking about a literal whole new world. And this whole new world provides kind of an anchor for our souls. It really is something that we can look to to find, again, a hope, find something uh, to give us some certainty in our uncertain times that we are kind of living in today. Again, if you have it, uh, again, just uh, read along with me. If you don't mind, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You may underline that. Sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Again, that was a little Dr. Seuss moment there if you didn't pick up on it. Again, this may be the reason. Well, I personally believe that God may like rap music. Just kidding. I don't know. But again, there is a Dr. Seuss moment there, right? He says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write these words down. It's trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is God's word. 
You know, John is re- received this revelation from God for the church. But let me give you a little context to what we've just read. See, John is living in exile. He is living as kind of a prisoner on a small kind of Roman island called Patmos, right? It's a small island in the middle of the GNC. Uh, probably what has taken place is that John is the product of a failed execution by Roman government, right? Rome failed to kill John, so they exiled John, right? Probably Roman law prohibited them to try again. So they simply put him on this island, uh, kind of cut off from the rest of the Roman Empire. And more than likely, this was trying uh, an attempt to control the voice of John. They're trying to control his leadership, right? The, the, the movement of Jesus Christ is spreading across the Roman Empire due to, you have Pax Romana and you have, Pax, uh, you have the Roman laws and uh, uh, Roman roads. This is provide ways in which the gospel kind of spreads across the region, right? Uh, and yet, because Christianity is taking advantage of these Roman uh, kind of uh, privileges, again, uh, the message, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ continues to go out. Again, as uh, believers continue to uh, spread the good news of Jesus Christ, and as people kind of jump in with the, uh, the cause of Christ, again, Domitian, the Roman emperor, probably is feeling threatened by, uh, again, this really this major movement uh, for Jesus. And again, Domitian was a really cruel emperor, right? He is uh, one that was said that he would crucify Christians on the ways into Rome. They would kind of line the roads uh, coming into Rome in order to kind of intimidate Christians, to be quiet, to be silenced about their message, right? So this is the backstory. This is the context. Again, John receives a revelation uh, from, G- from God for the church. And even though uh, John is living in exile, the province of God gives him this message and it still makes its way to shore, to the emperor, to the empire in order to provide hope in the midst of a dark and uh, kind of heavy time. He says that there is good truth for the church. Here's the good truth, is that there is coming a time when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. See, the first earth and the first heaven is going to pass away right? Uh, now you may be confused. You may like ask yourself, okay, what's wrong with the first heaven, right? It's like, I, I know what's wrong with the, the first earth, but what's wrong with the first heaven? Was the, the dwelling place of God not good enough? Was, I mean, is God trying to take it from 18 karat gold streets to 24 karat gold? Is he trying to like upgrade the pearly gates? Is that what he's saying? It, this is not what this text is saying. In fact, uh, this is saying that the cosmos or the universe in which this little blue planet belongs to is essentially going to be scrapped along with our earth, along with this world, like we know it. So again, that's the first heaven and the first earth is going to pass away. Again, if you uh, question me, again, Psalms 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God, right? It's speaking about the uh, universe or the cosmos, all that you look up uh, at night, all the brilliance of a uh, uh, blacked out sky says all of that's going away. And this is hope filled communication because the church then that was experiencing great pain, great sorrow, great suffering could look around and see all that's taking place and know, again, there is coming a time when all that we are currently experiencing is going to pass away. All that we know now, all of this hurt, all of this, uh, uh, again, sin, sorrow, and death is going to be taken from us. And there is going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And this uh, kind of knowing that there is something perfect that's going to come for God's children, essentially uh, keeps God's people anchored in the midst of an uh, incredible storm. There's a new heaven and a new earth. I think it's really interesting that it says, though, that in this new earth, there is no sea. 
right? You, you may underline that in your Bible, right? It says, and there, the sea was no more. Now, this doesn't mean there's no water, right? I think there is, again, rivers and lakes in this new earth, but there is no sea. Right? Why no sea? The sea is um, something that separates, though, right? The sea is a, a symbol of separation, Right? It's what separates continents from one another. It separates nations from each other. It separates people from people. Like this is, the sea is a separating force. And this is probably an incredible word of hope for John who lives on an island. Right? John living on an island in exile, cut off. He's a pastor without a congregation. Right? He's a leader that's having to lead without proximity to his people. Like he is cut off from all that he knows and all that he loves in life. And yet God says that in this new earth, what you're going to experience is there's not a moment of separateness. God is never going to be cut off from his people. The, the family is never going to be separated from one another. This is a, a great reality. And I don't know where you're at today. But more than likely, you are probably experiencing some of the pains of isolation and separateness. Right? Probably some of the great pains of COVID-19 is that we are separate or cut off from the people that we love. Right? There are uh, maybe children cut off from parents or uh, grandchildren cut off from grandparents. There are those that are in the nursing home. We're just trying to have to wave to them through a, a glass window. We can't really get to them. We can't really uh, be able to get close to them, to love them, to hug them, to show that we care for them. Right? Again, the great pain has been uh, a pain of separation or a pain of isolation. And yet this word is a word of hope that what we're experiencing now, the heaviness of being cut off from our friends and those people that we love that will never exist in this new heaven or new earth. Again, in this, at this future date and this future times, we will never have to experience separateness. I'm not sure about you, but that's encouraging for me. It says that this first heaven and this first earth has passed away and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I personally believe that the the next line, which is uh, part of verse three, is the most encouraging uh, line in this text. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God, right? This is, uh, this is a word that is saying that all that was lost in Genesis chapter three is gonna be restored, Right? Again, uh, in the garden, right? Again, uh, Genesis chapter three, we see humanity uh, kind of embraced sin, right? In their rebellion, they were not uh, comfortable just simply being a reflection of God. They wanted to be a rival with God. Uh, if you think about it, uh, Genesis 1.26 says that uh, man was created in the image of God. And yet then the serpent tempts Adam and Eve by telling them what? That you will eat this and you will what? Be like God. Sad truth was they were already like God, but they weren't content with being his reflection. They wanted to be his rival, right? And so they choose something else. They choose their selfishness. They choose to say, shove off God. We want things our way. And the whole world kind of falls apart. Genesis 1, everything's perfect. Genesis 2, everything is perfect. Genesis 3, well, it all goes to pieces. Sin enters into the scene. And then from Genesis chapter 4 through Genesis chapter 11, you experience like the full depravity of man. You begin to experience decreation, but you know the the most again the heaviest part of this was that again humanity was kind of banished from the intimate relationship that they had with God in the garden. They're cut off from God. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to see Jesus face to face? Like if you're like dreamt dreams of what it'd be like to be able to get a time machine to, you know, go back, you know, 2,000 or so years ago and just be a witness to the life of Christ. Uh, I, uh, from time to time, again, I've just thought, like, how cool would it be? Like if I could just be, you know, in the audience for the Sermon on the Mount, right? I want to hear the greatest sermon ever preached, right? And I always want to be a witness to the life of Christ. Or, you know, if I could just see one of those miracles, if I could just see Jesus walk on water, how cool would that be? If I could see him, you know, take five loaves, two fish and just begin to feed thousands. If I could maybe see him pick up the ear from that Roman soldier and put it back to his head and it be healed, right? I want to see some of this, some of this glory, some of this excitement. I want to be present to the life of Christ just for a moment, Right? And again, I think that it's probably pretty common that many of us have dreamt what it'd be like to experience Jesus firsthand. And sometimes we want to experience Jesus firsthand because we are looking for something to substantiate our faith, right? We'll tell ourselves like, if I had just seen a miracle firsthand for myself, man, there's nothing I would not do for the glory of God. I mean, I'd be sold out. I'd be completely abandoned. Everything that I have would belong to him. I would never have a single doubt again. But you know, I do believe that Part of the reason I think that we crave to experience Jesus face to face is because we're looking for something to substantiate our faith. But I also believe there's something deeper, maybe unknown to you and to me, that drives us to want to be present with the life of Jesus. Here's what it is. I believe that we've been, uh, we crave our creator, right? Because we've been, uh, uh, we've experienced a beautiful design of God. The, the product desires to be back with its master. So I believe what is in all of us, this can maybe a divine thumbprint of God, uh, pulls us towards being able to experience God face to face. We want to see the unseen. We want to be back with the one we were created to be with. And we want to come back to a reality much like Adam and, he, Adam and Eve had in the garden. And I know what you're saying. You're like, well, I got the Holy Spirit. So I get to fully access God now. I don't need to dream dreams of what it'd be like to go back in time 2,000 years ago to experience Jesus. I got the Holy Spirit in me. And it's right. I got the Holy Spirit in me and hopefully the Holy Spirit's in you. And again, if you are, again, a child of God, you have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. That's great, right? And although the Holy Spirit perfectly dwells in us, we don't perfectly dwell with God. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit perfectly dwells in us, but we don't necessarily perfectly dwell with God, right? There's a limiting, there's a, there's a, there's a shortfall. That's why part of the teaching of Jesus was about how to abide in Christ, about how to, uh, again, maybe maximize um, our, uh, our, our interactions or, uh, uh, you know, our interactions with God. Here's why uh, I believe what I believe. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul talked about this reality. He says this to the church. He says, for now... We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Did you get it? He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. He said, I'm not seeing things perfectly today. And he says, but then, when's the then? Right? This is uh, being in the presence of God. This is probably a new earth, new heavens reality. But he says, but then there comes a moment in which I will be face to face with God. He says, now I know in part. He says, I know God in part now. He says, but then shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So God knows uh, Paul fully, but Paul doesn't know God fully. He says, there's still some kind of uh, limitation to our relationship. There's still something that keeps us from experiencing a perfected relationship. 
Paul says, you know, we want to see the unseen. We want to experience God like we experience all seen things in this world. And there is coming a day, there's coming a time when we'll be able to receive that. We will be able to reestablish our relationship with God much like Adam and Eve had in the garden. We will have not just a perfect space, but we'll have a perfect relationship. That is the great pain of Genesis chapter 3. It's not the spoiling of a perfect earth. It's a spoiling of a perfect relationship with God. And then it says... This is what takes place next, that he will wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. No mourning, no crying, no pain, because in this place, right, things are perfect, right? God has brought death to death. Death is not allowed. Imperfection is not a a part of this new creation. And it says that there is one that is seated on the throne. Who sits on a throne, right? Only a king sits on a throne, but this is a peculiar king, right? Because what king steps off his throne to wipe away the tears of a child? A king comes off his throne to wipe away the tears of a child. This is a a picture of an intimate king. A king that's not just a king, but a king that's also a father. A king that's also a friend. He's like calling out to his children. He's saying, come here. Come close. I want you. I need you. He's not just a father that says, listen, I'm going to fix it. He says, I'm going to make it perfect. There is a difference. And this is the promise that we receive in Revelation 21. The father says, I'm going to not fix it. I am going to make it perfect. Perfect for you, my child. Perfect so we can experience one another. Perfect so we can experience no more pain. Man, this is a great word for hope. A great uh, word for each one of us today. I know that some of you that are watching this right now, though, you're thinking to yourself, okay, what does this matter to me right now? Right? Like, what does this matter today? You know, you're, you've kind of jumped into this broadcast. You've stumbled into this broadcast. And you've thought to yourself, like, listen, you know, cool. There is this new heaven coming. There's a new perfect world. But, you know, why does it matter right now, 2020? What, what is this truth going to do to change my life in this moment? Here's why it matters. See, because a, he- a heavenly perspective provides earthly guidance. Heavenly perspective provides earthly guidance. Uh, Tim Keller told this story. So again, I admit it's stolen, but it's an incredible story that makes a powerful point. It says this, imagine you have two men, right? These two men work the same job. They both make widgets for a living, right? They're at a widget factory and their job at the widget factory is to screw widgets into wadgets. If you don't know what a wadget is, don't worry, it's not important, right? But they screw widgets into wadgets all day long. They work 10 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, uh, these two men are told, though, that they're going to receive compensation that's much different from one another. So there's one man that's told that he's going to receive a $20,000 payout after he completes his year contract. And yet the other man is told that he's going to receive a payout of $20 million after he completes his year project. So a few weeks go by and all of a sudden the first man throws his hands up in the air and he says, I'm out, I'm done. This is too tedious, this is too tiresome, it's too hard, it's too boring. There has to be an easier way to make some money. And he walks away. And yet the man that's promised $20 million, he still whistles while he works. Why? Because he knows what's coming. Right? And for us as a, as a Christian, as one that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, right, have been transformed by the gospel, knows what's coming. We know the end of the story. We know how it's going to finish. It's going to finish with a new heaven and a new earth, a place of perfection, an opportunity to experience a perfect relationship. All that was lost will be regained. This is great. So a heavenly perspective provides earthly guidance. So this is why it matters in 2020. Right? Our, our, our uplook 
always changes and influences our outlook. Our then always affects our now. Our tomorrow is always going to determine how we live today. We know what's coming. And as a Christian, we know how the story concludes. We know the promised hope. Here's the next reason why I think this matters uh, today, right? Because he is making things new now. Did you see this in the truth? Did you see this in the text? It says, behold, I am making all things new. It's not future tense. Now, I'm not going to make things new. He's not saying like, hey, some future date, I'm promising to, to make things new. He's saying that I am in the process of making things new. And that means he is making things new right now, in this moment, in this second, in your living room. He is making things new. And many of you have experienced the kind of uh, the uh, new making, new creating efforts of God. We get to experience the new now. If you think back, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Ezekiel 36.26 says this, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you're not convinced there, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, 22 and 23. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new. There it is, to be new in the attitude of your minds, right? Again, many of you have seen this. You've experienced this firsthand. You've watched God work his grace in your life. You've seen him take kind of the the sandpaper of grace to kind of refine the edges of your life. You have been made new because of the message of Christ. We're we're obsessed with new things, aren't you? I, I know I'm obsessed with new things, right? Uh, I'm, you know, everyone wants a new car, some new clothes, a new phone, new hairstyle, new furniture. Uh, probably if you had some disposable income in your budget the last couple of weeks, you've probably tried to kind of alleviate uh, your isolation, your separateness by buying something new, right? You probably took to that Amazon uh, app and all of a sudden the algorithm put something in front of your eyes and you said, I got to have it. And so you ordered it and two days later it showed up on your doorstep in that little brown box and you opened it up for a second, you held it up and it provided you a moment of excitement or a moment of relief. And you think, man, this is great. Something new. You know what though? I think though that the craving for new exists because our souls were made for eternity. I would propose to you that the reason we love new and we want new, we crave new, is that we are built for something more. We are built for something that doesn't fall away or fade out or break down. We were not uh, created for things that die out or time out. Again, we were built for eternity. Again, our souls will forever live in eternity. And I believe that is why we desire things that are new. We were built for something more. We were built for something new. Verse six says this, and he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's like God is saying, he's like, man, uh, again, you may not be able to experience the new heaven and new earth right now, but consider it done. It's as good as done. Again, I, I, I promise you that this is going to take place. This is going to be your future reality. It's my guarantee for each one of my children. Now, you ask yourself, it's like, okay, why do I trust this? Why, why do I trust that it's done? Why should I believe them that it's done, right? 
Why should I take his word for it? Right? So we can, though, trust these words that it is done. It's because Jesus yelled out on Calvary, it is finished. Man, this is kind of an echo of what Jesus has already declared. Right? Because sin is the one barrier from us to be able to experience the fullness or the newness of God. Right? This is the one thing that would prohibit us from being able to access God, to be able to return to that right relationship, to be able to come back to a, a perfect creation. Sin is the one thing that stands in the way, and yet Jesus yells out on Calvary, it is finished. There is no longer a barrier. There is no longer an obstacle. We couldn't pay for ourselves. We couldn't provide our own way. We couldn't work uh, ourselves out of this hole. God came to our rescue. He sent us a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, a death, yet an innocent man, in order that we might experience a new life because of his great grace. This is a gift now offered to each one of us. And so we can kind of take these words to the bank. We can say, yes, I will stand on these. I will hold them close. I will cherish this truth if I simply place my faith in Jesus Christ. We can say, yes, it's done. This is good. This can be an anchor for our souls only if you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you accept forgiveness of your own sins. That's why Jesus had to die. He needed to deal with the one thing that stood in, in, in the way of us to be experienced, the newness of God, a newness of relationship, and a newness of life. Where are you at today? Again, I, I, many of you know Jesus well, and you've been walking with Christ for a really long time. But I know there may be someone, there's a student that's watching, maybe a, a child that's watching. There's maybe a guest or visitor that's just simply curious. Maybe you had some time on a Sunday morning and you got bored watching Netflix. And so you, you've kind of landed here in this moment. Where are you at today? What do you have that anchors your soul? How do you explain your desire for new how, how are you finding, again, uh, something to guide you in the midst of these uncertain days? I would say to you, consider Christ. I believe there is no greater option than the person of Jesus. I believe a man that predicts his death, burial, and resurrection, and it comes true as a man worth giving your entire life to. Would you consider giving your life to Christ right now? If you would, pray with me. If you are at home right now and you're watching this broadcast and you're interested in a uh, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just pray something like this. God, please save me. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you remove this barrier that limits my access to you? God, I pray that you would make me a new creation, that you would put a new heart in me, that you would give me a new mind. God, I pray that you would allow me to experience new today. And God, and as we are experiencing so much pain, and as I'm experiencing hurt right now, I cling to the hope that again, all that I know right now will eventually be done away with and I will be brought to a new place, to a new heaven, to a new earth, to experience right relationship with you. God, now thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you for saving me. Help me to follow you the rest of my life these things I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching today. Church, we'll talk to you soon.